0: subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media right now go all right welcome back dreamers so guess what this past weekend I had the honor and the privilege of interviewing a member of my favorite band the keyboard player pianist and vocalist of umphreys mcgee mr joel cummins joel and i sat on a bench right beside the beach and recorded our conversation while overlooking the ocean just before the sunset on a beautiful day in hampton beach new hampshire just hours before umphreys mcgee took the stage at the legendary casino ballroom a huge thanks to joel and umphreys mcgee for an incredible weekend of shows This episode is brought to you by Joel's new book, The Realist's Guide to a Successful Music Career, written by Joel Cummins of Umphreys McGee and Matt DeCourcy. This book is full of amazing advice for up-and-coming musicians and artists alike, with lots of good life lessons for everyone else, too. So uh, we talk a bit about it in this episode, and if you're in Canada, you can order a copy at bit.ly slash umltd506 and if you're in the US or anywhere else check out Amazon or the Umphreys merch site we're also brought to you by AMW Group who offer premier marketing and entertainment services which is another great resource for musicians and businesses starting out Check out all their services and get a special 10% discount by visiting bit.ly slash dream 10 and use coupon code AMW10. All the info and links for the book and sponsors are in the show notes. And all right, let's get into it. Here he is, the keyboard wizard himself. Please give it up for Joel Cummins. Hey
1: everybody, I'm Joel Cummins from and McGee and I am living the dream. Yeah you
2: Ladies and gentlemen, acclaimed author, world traveler, father, avid golfer, fashion icon, Joel Cummins. On the keys, there we
0: go. All right. And we're live with Joel Cummins of Umfriz McGee. Thank you so much for being here, Joel.
1: It is great to be with you here, Chris. We got a nice view of uh, the beach here in
0: Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. I mean, not not bad for a uh, day on, right? That's right. Not our first choice. We tried to go up near uh, an air conditioner on top of the building of the casino ballroom, but this will work.
1: We did. We went for the uh, you know the, the the larger view out back over the bay first and. Um, You know, unfortunately, it didn't work
0: out, but life is a lot of times about improvisation, just like music. Smooth, very good. Well, we had a a quick introduction to each other. Um, I mentioned we're from Canada. First thing I want to say is you guys have played Canada 15 times total, um, zero times since 2012. And you guys have played Mexico, of all places, 15 times since 2012. So why the Canada hate? Um, What did we do to you guys? (laughs) And when will we see you back?
1: Uh, this This podcast is over yeah. um, i 'm I'm impressed that you you know your stats there. you came armed with with factual armed. information you know <laughs> there 's no letting me off the hook on this one um, you know if we could do our holidays event in December up in New Brunswick on the beach, we would consider it. but I have a feeling that might not go over as well i 'm not you know not sold on that one um, but uh we actually i mean we would love to play up in uh, canada more it 's just It's honestly a a very big logistical challenge now that unfortunately has even gotten uh more complicated in the past couple years
0: so what what exactly is it that holds you guys back from coming north of the border
1: well when we're out on the road we typically tour with two buses and a 53 foot semi full of gear and so you know we we like to have our own gear and plan our own stuff we can do things on backline with rented gear if we need to But in general, to try to do that in the middle of a tour, at the beginning of it or end of a tour, it's just a lot more energy, you know, for everyone, energy and effort. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just it's also tough to make ends meet financially. So, um, you know, now that we've got four of the six band members with families and I think 20 kids between all the crew and the band, um, there's a lot of mouths to feed and we we can't do as many of the uh, fun plays, you know, where we just we don't make any money anymore.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean. To take the time to build up an audience when you have sold-out shows across the United States year-round, just like you said, logistically at this point. And, and trust I me, understand. Like,
1: you know, I love, I, we were talking about Montreal is one of my favorite cities to go to. I mean, I right. would love it if we could go up there a little more in and Toronto and, and Vancouver. And, you know, we've played Whistler in the past, too. Um, so there are lots of great places to play in Canada. I know that, you know. And right. it's uh, just one of those things that's unfortunately a, a little bit of a frustrating hurdle at this point.
0: Right. So one thing I, I thought about not mentioning, but with the news this morning, I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask about Jefferson Waffle. Um, would you like to comment on that? Like, I know it, it was coming at the end of the year anyway, but does it come as a bit of a shock that today was the, the final
1: farewell? No, it doesn't come as a shock. No. It's something that we've, we've talked about here for a little bit. And honestly, you know, we've always put everybody's health and family first. And that's something that's really important for us as, a, as an organization. And so when Jefferson kind of told us he was really having a hard time physically with stuff, you know, he was going to look into it and see what he could do. Uh, of course, that was something that, that mattered to us. And, you know, we knew this change was coming and that we were going to do something. So it, it, it was just honestly, you know, again, we had to kind of improvise and, and change the original plan. and and do what was needed in the moment. And, uh, you know, we, we're very lucky to have out with us right now our uh, one of our former crew lighting chiefs, Elliot Little. Uh, he ran lights for us last weekend. And he honestly, he, he programmed a lot of uh, Jefferson stuff and set up the entire show file himself. So yep. it's somebody who's very familiar with, with that and also uh, with the Humphreys music. He's worked with us in different capacities probably for about 10 years. so.
0: You're in good hands.
1: Yeah. So for right now, that's our plan, and you know we have uh, we probably had about fifty different people apply for the full time job, and we've got about four or five that we're seriously considering that we'll we'll probably bring out with us over the different weekends in October, and um, you know hopefully have a decision about who uh, who's going to take the next steps with us after that we'd love to have somebody that wants to be part of a long term team and you know uh be with us for another 10 to 15 years that's kind of the goal you know with with how complicated and and deep our catalog is it's it's important that we get somebody that doesn't just want to do this for a year or two right yeah so you know I, i think we uh we knew this was coming and and we're you know very grateful for Jefferson's work over the past 11 years and we know that that's something that was really important to the fans and you know even I had some additional stuff with him where we did tons of videos did this you know this big Forrest Gump parody right. thing for one of the umbels yep. and you know so we we had some uh, some great times creating together and uh, you know Jefferson's one of my uh, good friends off the road and we we've hung out lots of times over the years and even just recently we went to the uh, the Fish Camden show for his bachelor party oh, Nice. Um, and uh yeah so i i know our friendship is something that will continue and he'll he'll always be part of the umphreys extended family
0: yeah we wish him the best i mean we all love him and i mean we're excited for what's to come and we'll all be there for, for the yeah. next me- venture
1: yeah you have to look at it as an opportunity and um you know this is something where we knew the change was coming and since jefferson's joined the band i mean he has a very specific look that he likes to do with uh, uh with his lights and you know that's that's something that we're we're ready for some uh, for some change on that front and to see what else we can do that that might be different and interesting.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to to think about and to just the opportunity the the change. I mean, it's been since 2008 when 2008? Jefferson started right. with us. Yeah, oh, cool. So, yeah, I mean, just an opportunity to change things up and maybe onward and upward. That's the idea.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, real quick while we're at it. Uh, This is the first show we've done without our good friend Jefferson Waffle. And I wanted to take a moment of darkness for him tonight. So you guys can cheer as loud as you want. But can we just have a moment of darkness, please?
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you. So starting out, let's let's go way back. Childhood. When did you start playing piano? Start singing? What like what got you into music?
1: At about eight years old, my mom said, "You're going to pick an instrument to play, and you're going to practice half an hour a day. I'll give you one day off a week. And if you don't like that instrument after a couple years, that's okay. You can quit. But then you're going to start playing a different instrument." So I started playing piano because our um, really our the church that we went to, our pianists and organists there played these amazing pieces of music i mean she was ripping out like bach cantatas and some really complicated stuff and i just kind of assumed that everybody's church experience was like that (laughs) you know found out later on not the case (laughs) at all but um that was really inspiring to me early on and you know I, i started studying vocal stuff too and i was very involved in the high school music program both in the choirs and and still continuing to play piano so you know i started at a very young age um just working on classical music, learned some jazz, did some ragtime, some blues, all kinds of different uh, formats. And then probably around eighth or ninth grade, I started trying to trick my mom when I was practicing into thinking that what I was making up was what I was supposed to be practicing. And you know, right. I, she she would bust me all the time and walk in and be like, <laughs> "What song is that? I haven't heard that one before." Yeah. So I thought that was uh, that was pretty funny. But it you know it turned out to be a skill that's actually pretty useful and and right. something. I mean, I was basically composing in the moment. And, uh, you know, obviously our original music with Humphreys McGee is, is, is something that, uh, is very near and dear to my heart and all the compositions that we've written over the years have, have really kind of told the tale of the evolution of the band.
0: Yeah. So at that young age, did you know you were going to pursue music as a career?
1: No, no. I was going to be a baseball player. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) So we know that you love baseball, but I mean, (laughs) at what point did you, (laughs) did you scrap the idea of baseball and say music is the, is the one for me?
1: Well, y- they were kind of different times. <laughs> the baseball one came first, you know. Right. Um, I realized that, you know, being the uh, 18th best player in my Babe Ruth Summer League uh, wasn't <laughs> going to necessarily lead me to riches. So, um, you know, I kept at it as, as something that was fun. And I've always gone to Cubs games with, uh, right. you know, with my parents over the years. And so that that was something that was, that was, I think, really just some valuable family bonding time. Yeah. But, uh, you know... My my mom was the music person. My dad was the sports guy in our family, and so it was pretty cool that my involvement in music really ended up getting my dad interested in music. And you know, I'll never forget it was our uh, senior concert at Lions Township High School, probably nineteen ninety three. And my dad came up to me. I'd sung a solo at this one performance, and he came up to me, and uh, and he and he had like a tear in his eye, and he was like. That was just so moving to me, and I can't believe how amazing it was. And I thought, this is pretty cool, this, like, 55-year-old guy. uh, I was able to, you know, kind of find something in him that, you know, maybe he didn't know he had before. And uh, my parents, you know, going forward then uh, to the Humphreys era, I mean, they probably went to 150 shows or something. And they were just staunch advocates for us and were always supportive of the fact that, (laughs) even though I went to Notre Dame and got a degree, at least it was in music theory. Right. You know, I said (laughs) after I graduated, so we're going to do this band thing, you know, here's, here's a good use of your college education. (laughs) But, um, but no, to be honest, I mean, the people that we started the band with, there was a kind of a level of quality of individual and, and, um, Having that connection with everybody, to where you know we had those those similar roots and values, I think was uh, was something that was that was really important and that really helped us down the road of continuing to be committed and to you know pursuing our dream, even though it was something that took a relatively long time to develop.
0: Yeah, so you never really had any pushback from your parents with the the music career. No,
1: back. they were supportive, and you know they said, "Why don't you try it?" and Try for a couple years and see how things are going and then you can reevaluate. And fortunately we were always in the place where things were moving in the right direction. And so we never really had to have a tough conversation with the band about like, okay, what are we gonna do? Like right. we have to change things, you know?
0: i really like is uh they say the stem of greatness sprouts from the seed of sacrifice it got me thinking about you like and like you said baseball maybe but on your path what would you say was one of the maybe the biggest sacrifices you had to make to become a keyboard wizard (laughs) (laughs) well you know the the process is still
1: happening there's there's the the you know, the, the, the constantly developing, uh, you've got to keep learning. I think that's something that's really important as somebody who's been a, uh, a private teacher and also just, I feel like a student, you know, my whole life. So, you know, starting with that kind of mentality, sorry, what was the question again?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was just saying like, what do you think was one of the biggest sacrifices you had to make in order to really pursue your passion?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest sacrifice is kind of like everything, (laughs) you know, it's your time, it's your life, it's if you're going to do it right and be passionate about it, it should be what you're thinking about most of the time. And so, you know, that was something that, that we kind of all committed to, to each other. And, you know, there's three to four hours of music per day where you're playing music together. And then there are the other 20 hours. Right. And, you know, a lot of people don't think about that, but that is a tough thing to be away from your wife and your, your children and, and things like that. So, um, you know, there, there's that sacrifice, but then the reward is of course, um, we do have a lot of time off throughout the year, and there are a lot more days where I get to be at home and I can, you know, spend time with my wife and daughter all day. And so that that's something that fortunately now kind of comes with it. It wasn't really in the beginning. I mean, we played 162 shows in 2003, so there was very little downtime. Right. But uh, you know, we've we've been fortunate over the years to have things grow, and you know, now we're to about 85 or 90 shows a year, and then of course we spend. Um, you know, some time off the road each year working on new music and going to each other's places and doing stuff. So I I think that's a really, uh, a really important part of the work ethic too. But, you know, one more kind of, I would say positive of it is that uh, because of Humphreys McGee and and, uh, the holidays event that we did, that's where I met my wife. So she works in the music business too. And so um, I've gotten to experience a lot of really cool things um, th- you know, different festivals that she works at, and you know, meeting different people in the business, and so it's it's been a really, really enjoyable part of my life to be able to share these connections in the music business with my uh, with my wife.
0: Yeah, definitely some good give and take there. So, with sports again, do you treat music at all like sports? Do you have any superstitions or pre-show rituals that you you do while you're on the road? I think the most important thing before the show is to like kind of have a laugh and
1: just keep things light i think that's a big difference between amping up for a show and amping up for a sporting event a sporting event is this competitive thing where you're trying to either beat somebody else or beat your own personal best and to me for the best music to happen i think that happens more when everybody's relaxed and having a good time and things are loose now of course we want to play tightly as a band but when i'm talking about things being loose more just kind of the the attitude and the flex on stage, and and right. um, you know, one of the things that I think improvisational music had really has in common with um, with comedy is that with improvisational stand up comedy, um, not sta- sorry, not stand up comedy, like improvisational group comedy, they say you need to say yes to everything, right? Yes, and and yes, and exactly, exactly. and that is absolutely true for improvisational music as well. And so, I think we're up on stage and there's a musical conversation going on and you know it's our job to go with the moment maybe you have a different idea than what somebody else is doing at the moment but you've got to give into that and be okay with it and then create something from what they're doing
0: right yeah so as far as getting loose in the like backstage or whenever before the show like what what makes you laugh what do you guys what do you guys do
1: there's so much ridiculous inside (laughs) humor from 22 years i mean we have like our own language where we could say one word to each other and crack each other up and nobody else would have any idea what we were talking about. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of great jokes like that. I mean, one of them that I can think of, um, Don Richards, our former tour manager, one night when we were just about to walk on stage, says, uh, hey guys, uh, so the promoter's a little pissed. Um, you know, we did a lot less people than last time and he's saying maybe you guys could just play one long set instead of doing a two-set show. Um, okay, well, good luck. <laughs> you know, and like talk about like deflating <laughs> the, you know, y- y- you want to get built up going out <laughs> yeah. on stage. Now, the funny part of that is halfway through the first set. Don comes into our talk back mics and, and goes into our ears. He goes, well, guys, I got good news. They had the best walk-up they've ever had at this. Uh, so you're back on to two sets.
0: Keep it going. <laughs> yeah, but that was an
1: important lesson. It's like, hey, if you're the last guy talking to the band before they go on stage, like that's not the time for depressing news.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Like try to try to save it. That's hilarious timing. <laughs> that was perfect. Um, so one thing I've always I've always wondered, you guys used to do the S2 events. It also used to be a quarter in the humble where people would text in ideas, set and setting, themes, things like that. Do you guys ever approach a song or a jam with that mindset? Like, hey, let's make this sound real apocalyptic, or like, you know what I'm sa- you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I or think like underground. We, right, right. No, we, we
1: definitely use descriptive words sometimes when we're talking about what it is that we're trying to create. Like, okay, let's get like deep ambience here, you know, and and like lose tempo or, you know, um, sometimes we'll say, okay, this next beat, this next downbeat that comes around, let's go robot. Try to play as robotic as you possibly can, you know. stuff is kind of fun to use and you know just like with the uh, the s2 stuff it's very open-ended as to what it can be there are really very few wrong answers for you know when you, you come up with that stuff and you're just yeah. trying to create sort of a mood or a or a feeling uh, right with that but yeah that occasionally happens for sure i think especially with six people in the band when you can say something like that in the moment and kind of get everybody on the same page a lot of times it's hard to convey that to all these different melodic music makers um, you yeah. know, if you have a three piece band, it's a lot simpler thing to be like, right. here's what we're doing. Okay. Everybody yeah. can see, everybody can hear, but the more people you add that, you know, the uh, kind of the, the, the range for error gets a little higher.
0: Right. The one I really liked at Umble was uh, that I was attending was Opium Sunrise. And it was just, so, it was so cool to really create that soundscape and, just the theme and the mindset and waffle brought the lights up slowly for the whole thing like opium sunrise it was just insane how that whole it was like a a score to a film you know what i mean and and the lights created the the visual for it as well and that's what i was wondering like when writing songs as well like is ocean billy meant to sound like you're lost at sea and then like waffle brings in the blue lights and it's dark you know what i mean like has that ever been you know, I mean, those two things... Or am I really looking into this? No, I mean,
1: <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. Music and the musical experience can be whatever you want it to be. And, right. um, I mean, those those two events of creating the song and then Jefferson lighting it, those happened at different times, you know? So that was his interpretation of what he thought, we thought the song was. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, it can be whatever you want it to be. That's, that's right. the beautiful thing of it. And... Um, you know, it, it, it can be something that evokes that or, you know, we could be playing it on top of a mountain and it's like, yeah. oh, OK, maybe right. that's not about the whatever,
0: you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely cool. And like you said, Waffle, he kind of interprets it for the crowd sometimes, especially in a jam. Right, sure. Like there was a Dump City jam at the Beacon one year where the the music was very apocalyptic sounding and then the lights went dark and it almost like he was making a a searchlight go on and it felt very post-apocalyptic. And it was, like I said, he he can light it and kind of make us feel those emotions, you know what I mean? I think that was
1: one of the things that was really special about what he did is that, um, you know, our music can be kind of complex and sometimes challenging or difficult to understand. And so he was able to really kind of um, you know, illuminate the you know the idea of what what was happening and kind of make the changes and sections clear for people. So I, I think there's certainly something that can be said for you know for lighting informing how a song develops and and how it's interpreted by the crowd. I think that's a great observation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I got a ton of fan questions that came in, so I'd like to try to get to a few of those right now, if you don't mind. The first one is the most important. It comes from my son, Michael. (laughs) Uh, He wants to know, what's your favorite chord on the piano, and what's your favorite key to play in? Ooh,
1: favorite (laughs) chord and favorite key. Wow. Um, I mean... That is a good question. I would say my favorite chord probably doesn't have a name because it's it's probably something from a Claude Debussy piece that I play that is just a super weird thing that I don't even know how I would actually describe it. Um, but I, I really love... Give it a try. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I really love the way that uh, that he voices things in particular. And there, there are numerous times when I've come across places in the song where I'm like, oh, that is the most... Amazing chord for that moment right now So um, so I would get as specific as that It's probably not an actual chord But it's probably You know, there are probably five or six times And like the La Piano Suite by Debussy And also the uh, Image Series 1 that, that like Man, that is just tops Tops right. for me So I, I love playing that stuff personally And what was the second part of that? And what's your favorite key to play in? Favorite key to play in? Um, and why? And why? <laughs> you know, I mean, if I'm trying to, uh, if I if I want to feel like kind of happy and dreamy, I like uh, Lydian mode. I would say more. It's more about modes as opposed to right. keys. And for for those of you who, who don't know, the the mode is basically what are the intervals between each note on a scale, and so they can be moved around to different key areas. Uh, so you have like you know Dorian mode, which which is basically minor, um, Aeolian mode. Um, uh Mixolydian, Lydian, Locrian, there, there, there are a bunch of other ones too. Phrygian. Yeah, Phrygian, exactly. Yeah. And so these all have to do with how the intervals stack up. So to me, I really like, uh, like if, you know, feeling like kind of a dreamy, happy thing, I would say Lydian. If I'm feeling like dark and weird, Locrian. Um, and then I would say also I like the uh, kind of the uncertainty and uneasiness yet coolness of using the whole tone scale big fan of the whole tone stuff so yeah um yeah that's like the 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 thing that i i could explain to you know the listeners here what is the whole tone scale it's like that kind of um like you imagine like a a dream sequence and like a harp doing that little ascending you know that sort of thing um but it's a it's a really cool uh, we have a song called number five where uh we use the uh use that whole tone scale and i that's one of always one of my favorite things to play and it just has this uh, kind of cool edginess to it right. where you're like, it's not major, it's not minor. What is it's this? It's everything. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's everything all at once.
1: Great question. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> That's Mr. Joel Cummins over there. Say hi to Joel. Yes.
0: You guys ever considered playing a festival of a certain genre like a metal festival and just going with a full metal set list
1: i mean i honestly i have brought this up a couple times to our, our uh, agent like i would love to do an acoustic set at newport folk or yeah. you know tell bluegrass i'd love for us to do more of like a rock and roll thing at like the sturgis uh you know bike rally right um you know go play the uh the buffalo chip campground
0: be awesome. Great name. I always <laughs> love that.
1: But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, fortunately, Umphrey's is a band where we fit well, and you know, kind of the Bonnaros, the bigger festivals, Austin City Limits, also works well at Summer Camp, which is more of a jam sort of vibe. And we also, you know, we can do things like Electric Forest and I'm trying to think what else like Camp Bisco that are a little more electronic. Um, so I, to me, I think that's an important thing. We, we like to play a few festivals every summer because you've got to keep finding new fans. You know, um, a lot of people say like, Oh, you know, you happy where the band is at. You just want to stay there. And it's like, you can never really think of it like that because you always have fans that are, you know, that are starting families or moving on with their lives and doing other things. So you, you've got to continually get new people interested in your music. And I, I think the festival scene is a, a really important part of how to do that.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be cool to see you guys do like the Newport thing, like you mentioned, would be incredible.
1: Yeah, right. It'd be so much fun. I mean, we would love it. And the challenge of doing something cool, like like doing acoustic guitars and and um, you know and, and and trying something different and having a couple you know guests from from that genre and trying to pick a couple traditional songs to play would be really fun for us and you know i i think we're ready to do it and just kind of waiting for a promoter who sees you know pete shapiro is always the guy who has been able to figure out like oh here's a cool thing for you to do we're gonna hook you up with Huey lewis we're gonna hook right. you up with jason bonham yeah and you know i awesome i uh I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for other promoters out there to be like, look at this uh, malleable palette of Humphreys
0: McGee. We can do something really cool with these guys. Yeah. On that note, I had a question from Bridget Higgins. She wanted to know, is there any dream collaborations? You mentioned Huey Lewis and Jason Bonham. I mean, at this point, with those collaborations, it seems like nothing is off limits. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it would be really cool, since you're uh, Canadian... Love to have a jam with Getty Lee. I oh think that would, be, that would be insane. That would be something that would be really special. Bring I actually uh, caught their last show at the Forum. Oh really? Um, which was unbelievably the first time I saw him live. It's just one of those things where I was never around when they were playing, and uh, yeah. so that that was really cool. You know, I would say um, Bobby McFerrin is somebody who I've always looked up to, and I'd love for to be able to work with him a little bit on some vocal stuff, and maybe have him come out and do do something cool. Like he has this. Uh, Circle Songs album where he starts makes up a line and then he has like i don't know 6 to 8 other singers right. and then somebody will pick up the line that he starts and then he'll start something else and like so he'll kind of compose in the moment these really cool vocal things that wow. I mean it reminds me kind of of what we try to do improvisationally too so he's somebody who's up there for me i mean you know like Willie Nelson that would be pretty badass and uh gotta get on that one (laughs) yeah i know i know man and um you know i really love what he embodies about music and just kind of the you know don't give a fuck attitude and and you know he's going to be his own person and he's he's always been that way and what a you know stalwart uh musical force in american history um and so finally i would say stevie wonder who is probably the greatest living american musician
0: that would be incredible jw powell Asks. Oh, no. I know him. <laughs> it's 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 easy. How does it feel to be a new father and rock star at the same time? Oh,
1: well, I did, still don't know what it feels like to be a rock star. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, being a dad has been one of the greatest things. I mean, you know, aside from meeting my wife, one of the greatest things of, of my entire life. And um, we have a really just awesome, beautiful, happy little nine-month-old girl. And, um really miss her right now. So
0: thanks for bringing it up, Justin. <laughs> Jeez, ruined my day. That guy's ruined my day so many times. <laughs> well, this is your chance to really stick it to him if you want to say something real <sighs> real dirty. You know, <laughs> I I don't want to be I don't want to be that
1: guy. I try to be a uh, a, posi- a beacon of positivity out there in the world <laughs> we need that more than more than people you know dunking on each other so <laughs> alright well this uh, next we'll question we'll
0: at that Justin I'm letting you off the hook this time <laughs> well this next question should bring us out of that hole I really like this question it's from Maggie JB what was it like growing up with the word come in your last name <laughs> 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 alright this just became uh, <laughs> x-rated <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, you, you know it's funny. I don't know how I looked out, but that was I was never made fun of for that somehow ever. And maybe it was because I had uh, my parents were both teachers, and so they were in the same school district. Oh, maybe. And it was like you know, if these kids got on the bad side, like that, you know, my parents could make their lives hell. So, right. Um, I think that that sort of uh, rudimentary blackmail really helped me out. Oh,
0: perfect! You got lucky. Maybe elementary blackmail is a better uh, better term for it. Well said. Um, Eric Scammell wants to know if you believe in God and what is the meaning of life oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) of course right
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you know I'm going to actually stay away from that and I think the meaning of life is you know it's whatever you make it we're here living with each other in the moment and I highly recommend to everybody out there that you know you you live your days like today's your last you go for it enjoy your life (laughs) Don't ever count on the future. You never know what it's going to hold. So, make every moment count and uh, try to try to be
0: present. That's right. Music and family—the things that we've been talking about—that's perfect. Jack Russett wants to know about your rig, but I specifically wanted to know if money was no object, what would you be using on a nightly basis? Okay.
1: Okay. Well, you know, I being in the band for 22 years, we have gradually built up our rigs, and honestly, like. I have a pretty ideal setup right now. I I don't think money is the big holdup. It's channels. (laughs) Oh, yeah? And also maintenance. So, um, you know, our crew is stretched pretty thin as it is. So I'd love to have a Clavinet out there, but the daily maintenance of it is really tough. I'd love to have a Wurlitzer. um, But again, same thing. They're just not super roadworthy. Um, I would also love to have a uh, Moog One, which is their new polyphonic synth that they came out with. Uh, I currently play with a mini Moog Voyager, which is a monophonic synth um, and also a beautiful excellent instrument uh but that is uh that 's definitely something that that i would I would have out on the road with me if I could
0: <laughs> not a chance i'm cutting that <laughs> <laughs> so i li- I like this question and it comes from me <laughs> <laughs> that's a great intro <laughs> so. When I sit around with my friends, our topics of conversation usually span from like space and AI, and just like I said, the meaning of life. That was Eric Scamble, my friend, one of my good (laughs) friends, um, used to host the podcast with me. Okay, he's a retired podcaster. (laughs) That's right. So what we were wondering was sitting around you and the other members of Umphrey's McGee, one on one. What is the topic of conversation between each and every one of you? Like if you're sitting with Ryan or Brendan. What are you guys talking about? Uh, well, with
1: Ryan and I, we're talking about uh, fantasy baseball because we have a band versus crew daily match that we play. And uh, currently, band is up four. Uh, <laughs> we've had a really good season, very consistent play from everyone. Um <laughs> No, but, uh, I mean, you know, we're just, we're, we're humans, man. We're normal people, so we're talking about, you know, our kids and our lives and stuff. Sometimes we're talking about music, you know. We're talking about the new Tool album today is, Ooh, yeah. is something that's exciting. Do you have a um, listen yet? Uh, I've listened to a couple of the tracks. I haven't yeah. listened to all of it yet, but uh, definitely awesome. digging it. Um, yeah, but, I mean, there's, there's, always, uh, there's always musical stuff for us to be talking about. Uh, you know, we, we typically start figuring out what songs we're going to play, uh, around noon or one o'clock the day of the show. And so a lot of times there'll be conversations about that or, you know, what's a cover we haven't played in a while that we could pull out or, you know, yeah. things like that. So um, it's all over the place. And, you know, some some of it's just friend to friend and some of it, you know, we're trying to actually accomplish things.
0: Right. That makes sense. Um, Mark Salton wants to know, when are you going to sit in with Fox? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I, I was hoping I was actually going to sit in with the last
1: time I saw him. But I had to leave because they didn't start until after our bus call, so you know mark's got he's gotta pull together the schedule a little better next time um you know and i'd I'd be happy to sit in with them. He's a uh, great player and a, a lovely human being
0: a lot of fun what yeah. a character yeah, yeah what a character <laughs> Dan Harriman wants to know why don't you have a talk box?
1: Why don't I have a talk box i I mean I don't really have a good answer to that <laughs> uh other than um you know. I'm not sure what instrument I'd play through it. I guess the Moog. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess what is it? Dave Two from uh, from Chromio has yeah, one. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, probably just another thing that you know the crew's told me you have six keyboards. So <laughs> it'd really be great if you don't add <laughs> anything else at the moment. Yeah. so I'm just trying to not be a jerk up there. Right. I'm already jerk enough. You know.
0: <laughs> nice. Um, What is the origin of Cummins Lies? What was the inaugural lie? Mm. (sighs) Well, you know, the irony of it all is that I'm a very
1: truthful, honest person. And the lies are usually just jokes that people don't get, you know. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I don't think there was really a specific incident that happened. I just think it's something that certain specific band members like to try to hold over my head. Because you know, I am just such a such a nice, accepting person that I can take it. You know, a lot of people can dish it out, but not everybody can take it. <laughs> but you can. I can. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Question for Ben Coleman What was your fave cartoon growing up? Hey, your favorite cartoon growing up? Man.
1: You know, I mean, I definitely used to wake up on like Saturday mornings and watch cartoons, but I feel like, you know, I watched a lot of like Sesame Street as a kid and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, the Bozo Buckets Show. That was a Chicago thing. I didn't really know that at the time, but interesting. You know, yeah, I liked that a lot. Um, I, I guess, you know, I, I probably watched, like, a decent amount of Tom and Jerry back in the day. Classic. Yeah, I think that was a classic. It had some nice music to it, too. Really cool
0: music, actually, when you look back on it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I saw uh, I saw Primus one time, and at set break, he was playing Tom and Jerry cartoons with the crazy, like, orchestral right? music I th- over top of it. I think I it. saw
1: a show on that tour, too. I vaguely oh, it was, remember that. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I watched a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of Night Rider, you know, kind of in my my early years, and then later on, found out that David Hasselhoff went to my high school. Oh, really? So yeah, <laughs> so we have a really David and I have a really special connection. Future of collaboration? Um, yeah, I think that actually we should have. <laughs> I probably should have started with him on. Have you seen his collaborations? Music? <laughs> um, only on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. yeah, only on YouTube. But uh, sh- we'll yeah. always live. David, if you're out there, we're ready. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's coming he listens he's a, yeah he, is he a listener? he's our number podcast? one fan
1: got some time on his hands now retired Baywatch, right <laughs> absolutely just still a dream boat uh, <laughs> why not yep. hey veronica hi how are you doing great
2: <laughs> um
0: is it the song Utopian Fur that you um tease another song in between
1: yes we ha- typically do do that
2: have you and ha- have you ever thought of um teasing one of your own songs
1: that's a good question. I wonder if we've done it. I'm guessing we probably have done it, but things like that, I generally have a hard time remembering. I'm really good at remembering like specific dates and venues and things where we right. played, but as far as like when we're performing live, there's a different part of the brain I think that is for remembering what happens. And I mean, it's really funny. There, you know, like fans will come up to you sometime. They'll be like, "Dude, <laughs> the resolution from <laughs> eight six 13 <laughs> What you did there was sick, what were you thinking? And I'm like, I, dude, I had no idea. I've played that song a hundred times since then, you know? Like, right. if you play it for me, I can usually figure out, oh, it's like, oh okay, here's what was up. Yeah. But um, yeah, so when you're in the moment creating, it's definitely a different part of the brain than the part that registers, like, I'm, I'm gonna remember whatever this was that we played, you know? But that's, I like that, that's a good idea.
0: you guys play like a full song in that tease oh yeah sometimes tease we'll
1: tease it sometimes
0: we'll play a full song and right. mess with people yeah yeah love it because they're always expecting it to drop back into utopian but it's just like like uh i feel like i've seen you tease a nirvana song and play the whole nirvana song in the utopian tease so it's like when are they gonna come out of it like when are they gonna right, go back right. into it and you get the whole song and then all of a sudden you're back into utopian you know it would be really funny is if like in that spot, we just started playing,
1: like, the chords for Glory Days <laughs> and then just, like, kept doing it for 45 minutes. <laughs>
0: That'd be awesome. Yeah.
1: Seriously, that would be awesome. The, the reason that popped into my head was actually <laughs> because uh, I, I ate LSD once in college. I mean, this is the first time I ever tried it, and right. I didn't really understand that it was going to be, like, this 12-hour experience. It ate it, like, one in the afternoon with a show at 9 p.m., Yep. and um, <laughs> I used to sing Glory Days in that college band, and so I I... I told him I couldn't make it to Lodin because I couldn't use my hands. <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I made it to the show. You know, like the people I was with got me over to the show. Right. And I was supposed to sing Glory Days. And so we got into it. And I could not remember the first lyric. And I could not figure out how to tell everybody else that, that was my problem. <laughs> and so, you know, finally I was like... I looked at our bass player, and he's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> you know, and, and I was like, "You started." <laughs> so finally started, and after he got the first words, then it was fine. I just <laughs> said, I had a friend in. was a big baseball player <laughs> back in high school." Then <laughs> I was fine, you know. But yeah, we had we had the that intro of awesome. Glory Days for like probably about three minutes. Well, I'm gonna be looking for Glory Days tonight. <laughs> Yeah, you never know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll tease it for you in there. That would be so funny. Oh,
0: man. That would be so
1: funny. All right. One one thing that we love to do is make jokes on stage that only one person gets in the audience. We do that all the time. Oh, I would love that. Tonight is
0: the night. I mean... I'll Tonight is the night. <laughs> Tonight. As I was saying, live in the moment, Chris. <laughs> That's right. So, all right, let's do this. The Realist Guide to a Successful Music Career, your new book. Tell us about it. What do you want to say about it? Let's hear it. So, two years ago... Um,
1: kind of came up with this idea i've had a lot of people over the years approach me asking for different advice in the music business and you know how we did things and things like that and um so i thought you know what like i I should put this down so that the next time somebody calls i can just be like i'd love to help you just here you go buy my book then i don't even have to talk to them anymore perfect um no but (laughs) uh (laughs) middleman yeah but no the idea is was really to like put out something that could help a young musician who knew they had talent, but it's such a challenge, challenging business to navigate and to figure out how you can turn your talent and your passion into something that can actually support you. And there are so many people out there that I feel like have deserved to have more successful careers that, you know, for whatever reason, didn't. And, you know, a lot of the pitfalls that mistakes that Humphrey's made, I was able to share these sort of things too, um, to try to help people avoid them. And then the other big part of it I thought was getting some other musicians and music industry people involved to really share their perspective on what were some of the important musical decisions they made and you know uh, what things happened early in their career that kind of put them on their path. Right. So, you know, talk to Huey Lewis, Susan Tedeschi, Victor Wooten, Chuck Lovell, who's the Rolling Stones musical director and played with Eric Clapton and was in the Allman Brothers. Um, Ivan Neville, Uh, Taylor Hicks who won American Idol 2005 Nikki Glaspie, who is Beyonce's drummer now is her own band, Nth Power. Pete Shapiro, who put on the Fair The Well event, uh, does Locken. Wow. The Brooklyn Bulls started the Wetlands in New York, which was where a lot of the bands in our scene got going. Wow. Uh, some of the Humphreys management. Jake Sininger, a guitarist from Humphreys, is in there. Yep. Um, Sid Schwartz, uh, former VP for Sony Music, uh, had a lot of great stuff for uh, some digital content and social media stuff. So th- there's all these different perspectives and people sharing their expertise and also the mistakes they made and the successful things that they did. So I I think it's important to know for a young musician that there are are lots of paths to, um, whatever you want to call success or, or happiness with a music career. And, uh, so that, that was, you know, it was just something that came up and that I thought I'd want to spend some time on and, and try to share with the rest of the world. And we've, we've had a great reception so far. Um, we got to number one in the Amazon, uh, music industry and then number one also in the performing arts. And I think we got up to like number five or something on the, the, the music biography sort of, uh, category. Yeah, so people have been buying it, and it's gotten great reviews, and I've been able to do a bunch of, you know, podcasts and interviews about it and, and talk about it. And the idea is just, you know, let's try to share this with as many people as we can and try to help inspire some young musicians.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's crazy how much success it had. Like, it, it did just catch fire. And, I mean, for good reason, because there's really nothing like this out there. And, I mean, right, right. the people you talk to are A-listers, you know what I mean? Like, it's insane. Yeah, I tried to uh,
1: I tried to get people that were doing a lot better than myself. I <laughs> thought that was a good start. So it's uh, advice to yourself as well? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, what can I learn from this? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can pick it up. Uh, it's on Amazon.com. It's on uh, the Umphreys McGee merch website or at uh, Umphreys McGee Shows. We will usually have it at the merch table. Awesome.
0: Was there anybody you reached out to that you would have liked to have had a, a little Yeah, a book? couple people, um, and I'm probably
1: forgetting a few here too, but uh, we tried to connect with Willie Nelson. We right. uh, tried to connect with uh, Darius Rucker yep. Hootie and the blowfish. Oh cool. thought that'd be a good one because he has a successful you know country career now yeah um, And I really wanted to have like, Skrillex or bass nectar in there and oh, yeah. um, we talked about it and just it, the the timing never came together for a conversation so right. unfortunately that didn't happen but uh, you know w- despite
0: that, I think we got a, r- a really nice well-rounded group of people that contributed. A couple of people were wondering if you reached out to Trey Anastasio for the for the book. Did that? Yeah, that you know, at I didn't
1: all? really want to reach out to anybody kind of really big in the jam scene, okay. so to speak. Yeah. Um, just because I felt like that perspective was was somewhat already covered. You know, obviously their situation is much much <laughs> different than ours. Um, you know, and 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 uh, uh, they've achieved a level of success that's really impressive, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I've I've met the guys from Fish uh, a couple times, and super nice guys, and they were they were really kind about uh, what they had to say about Humphreys McGee. But uh, but yeah, no, I, d- I didn't reach out to anybody in uh, in the dad or in Fish to uh, to yeah. contribute
0: on this. That makes sense. Um, Michael Cook wants to know: Will there be a second book, and if so, what will it be about? <laughs> I'm ready to do. Uh, my wife and I are ready to do a travel
1: book. I oh think yeah, that's our next one. Yeah, that'd know? be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a realist guide to successful music career part two. We really tried to just keep things basic and like useful information for somebody early in their career with this. Um, But uh, yeah, so I think there's definitely a lot more to be written on that. Uh, You know, obviously we wanted to keep this a little more specific and just see how it did and see if people are interested. But yeah, I've got, I I definitely have a list of uh, people that I'd be interested in talking to that I didn't
0: get to this round. Yeah. No, that would be awesome. So the sequel, we can expect that in 2020. <laughs> hey, give me a break, man. I got a new kid here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Do you guys
1: travel a lot with the baby? We do. Yeah. yeah. She's, you know, my wife works in the music business too. So it was kind of, that was what we had to do. And, you know, oh, yeah, just, I suppose. Uh, She's Will Quinn's been really great adapting to our lifestyle and just a happy little traveler. You know, we took her over to Europe in April. She came down to holidays in December. Oh, wow. Um, Came out to Aspen when we played there. Um, but, you know, she goes with my wife to a lot of the festival work that she does. And uh, okay. we have a nanny that's that's helping us out sometimes with those, too. And sometimes I'm the one in charge, you right. know. So I'm, I'm feeling more confident about that now. I took her to uh, hang out in Bonneroo. And uh, let's see, we were at Outside Lands and most recently at uh festival just from monday to wednesday while they were setting up oh wow so it's really funny i'm running into people there they're like i didn't know you're here i'm like yeah i'm taking off before the music starts so <laughs> just hanging yeah. out for
0: setup yeah just here just here for the setup That's different it. different side of the business <laughs> yeah exactly right exactly awesome all right joel i won't keep you any longer but thank you so much for doing this man yeah it's been a pleasure chris thanks man look forward to seeing you tonight cheers cheers glory days
2: <laughs>